Thank you, Pastor Rob. It is a privilege and honor to be with you this morning. You know, I, I don't know when I get the opportunity to speak at different places now if I'm supposed to be speaking as a missionary. Am I supposed to be speaking as an entrepreneur? Am I supposed to be speaking as a pastor? So I'm not sure what angle I'm going to take today, but since Pastor Rob gave me the platform, yes, we are the president and founders of Metanoia Missions International. Some of you might have actually uh, supported us in our different projects because your church has been very generous to us. We're still working in Nicaragua because of the situation with political unrest in 2018. Then COVID, I don't go back as much as I used to. I was going back about every six weeks, but our team on the ground continues to run things. We just recently received seven containers of food. If you saw any of our social media posts, we have five of them actually advertised that uh, will feed 1.5 million people. And uh, we're raising $40,000 right now to help distribute that to people in need. We have monthly pastor's conferences. We have a widow's home. So all the work that we started when we lived there for 15 years is continuing on. It's continued to grow, but we have national leadership in place. I think we have 17 employees on the ground that run the day-to-day for us. So thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support and all that. And this morning, we're going to get into the Word. How many came to hear the Word of God today? I think that it's awesome that you guys are doing this new, I don't even know what you would call it. I won't want to say program because programs are so outdated. The new project, the new, what was it, what did they call themselves? Bible engagement, thank you. The new Bible engagement because it's so important for us to get into the word of God. Statistically speaking, you've probably heard your pastors say it before, but statistically speaking, the average Christian reads the Word of God about two times a week. They pray about three times a week. The average Christian is in church 1.6 times a month. And so we're not getting into the Word. We, most churches don't have Sunday schools like they used to. And so as a body of Christ, we're very deficient when it comes to the Word of God. But the Word of God is for us. It's alive and active. It's our foundation. It's the base of what we believe. And if we don't know what we believe, it's kind of hard to walk out our Christian life with no understanding of what God desires of us. So I want to encourage you to get involved in that project, the initiative, the engagement, whatever you want to call it. Get involved with that. I guarantee you won't be disappointed. When we get into the Word of God, there's no disappointment. We just discover more about who we are and how much God loves us. So we're going to get into the Word today, and if we were to understand the Word of God and get into the Word of God, we would realize that life is about relationships. And as weird as it might be, as having a guest speaker today, as a missionary, to talk about relationships, that's what we're going to do this morning, because I believe that if we can figure out how to manage our relationships and lead through particular relationships better, that we will have a much more... Uh, impact will have a greater impact or more influence on the people around us and the people in the world. Because you think about relationships, every aspect of our life revolves around relationships. If you are at work, you are involved in relationships. Most people don't leave a work environment because the work is too much, even if there's too much demand on you, but you have healthy relationships with a responsive boss, a responsive team around you, chances are you're going to stick it out because there's been relationships developed. Most people don't leave churches because they got offended from something the pastor said. They leave churches because there's no relationship, there's no connection. So when an offense happens, there's nothing to keep them connected to the body. 
We have relationships every day we manage, whether it's with our children, with our spouses. Some of us have been through divorce, so we have ex-spouses and stepchildren that we have to have these relationships with. But as believers in Jesus Christ that have been transformed, the way that we relate in our relationships should look, look much different than the way that people in the world. Anybody hear what I just said? If we have been transformed and we have been touched by the Holy Spirit, that should be manifested in our relationships that we're involved in. Whether it's in the home, whether it's in the work, whether it's acquaintances, whatever relationship that might be, our relationship with God is manifested throughout those relationships. Life is about relationships, and if we get into the Word of God, we'll begin to understand that from the very beginning in the garden, something took place that brought disharmony into our relationships. We go back to man in the garden, fellowshipping with God, had the opportunity to talk with God, walk with God in the garden. God said, this is all yours. This is paradise. Look at this. You have dominion over everything here. You can name the animals. This is yours to enjoy. However, just don't eat from this tree. But man in his arrogance begins to disobey God and he eats from the tree. And from right there, there becomes disharmony between man and God. Because he rebelled against God, the relationship with God was damaged. There became this disharmony. And we see it because when God comes down to walk in the garden to talk to man, he says, where are you? Obviously, God knew where man was, but he presents that question and says, where are you? So it brought this disharmony to this dysfunction between the right relationship that God had established with man. There's now this brokenness. But it just didn't happen and, and stop there. It happened with, them, with man and himself as well, because when he's hiding, what does he say to God? He says, I'm naked and I'm afraid. He felt ashamed. Ashamed was not something that God intended for mankind to experience. So his self-image was tainted. Even though he was made in the image of God originally, he understood that and walked in that. Now that relationship, even with himself, has been affected because of the sin. But now it goes a little further in the relationship with man in this earth that we were placed here to have dominion and rule over was now affected as well. Now we have thorns, we have weeds, we have poison ivy, we have animals that want to eat us. We have all these things that have taken place because of the original sin and it brought that disharmony in the relationship between man and this earth. And because of that, we have to work hard and have little produce from the hard work that we put in. But then it just doesn't stop there. It's this sin caused disharmony with the relationship with us and others. The blame game began to start right there, the original sin. No one wants to take ownership. We're going to blame other people. And it just didn't stop with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve's first children, Cain and Abel. Do you remember the story with that? How'd that end? Not very positive. First murder. Because there became a disharmony in the relationship. So if we are going to understand relationships, we're going to relate much better to one another. We have to go back and understand there's more to it than somebody's personality. There's disharmony all the way back from the beginning of time. But see, if we're not getting into the word and recognizing these things, we'll have trouble and we'll continue to blame people for the things going on. But yeah, we have to take ownership of those things. But there's so much more, so much more profound than just simply an attitude or somebody's disposition that we don't like. 
And so we begin to walk through life and we have these relationships, but then we have to take a normal step and begin to say, you know what, we're going to have short-term and short-time relationships. Those are the relationships that are maybe somebody at the gas station that works at the, the cashier we might know or a kid's teacher at school. Those are short-term relationships. And then we have some long-term relationships or long-time relationships where we're friends for a little longer. That means we keep in touch. We talk to each other. If I'm going to the store and I see a Pittsburgh Steelers shirt, and I know that you're a Steelers fan because we've got lots of them here this morning, I'm going to buy you that shirt. That's not very nice. I'm going to buy you that shirt because I'm thinking of you. Those are the long-term relationships. And if they say you can make it past seven years in a long-term relationship, chances are you will be a friend for life. But then we have covenant relationships, and we don't enter into a covenant relationship with a lot of people. We enter into a covenant relationship with God. We enter into a covenant relationship with our wife and our kids. But we have these relationships. But unfortunately, because of the disharmony from the very beginning in the garden, we don't know how to effectively manage the short-term, the long-term, and the covenant relationships. So I have a short-term relationship with Dave back in the sound booth. Dave's a great guy. I met him last night. I like him. He's got a great smile. He's got lots of energy. And there's certain things that I'll share with Dave. But I don't know Dave that well. So there's certain things I'm not going to share with him. I'm not going to open up and be very vulnerable. I'm, as a Christian, I'd be willing to sacrifice for him. But my level of sacrifice will be a little different with Dave than it would be with my friend Krishan, who came up to hear me speak this morning from D.C. area. I've known Krishan for years. He's part of our men's group in Virginia when they lived in Virginia. He's been to our leadership retreats. We have a great rapport. We stay in touch. So there's things I would tell to Krishan, and I would open up a little differently with Krishan than I would with Dave. There's nothing wrong with Dave. Dave's great. I could probably trust Dave, but I have not built that relationship. We haven't shifted into the long term like I have with Krishan. My wife's not here with me. She's in our church today leading. But if she were here, I would say, there's things with my wife. I have a covenant relationship with her. There's things that I will only share with her. And it doesn't care how close I am with Krushan. I'm not going to cross certain boundaries because it would be inappropriate. He's a great guy. I trust him. But there's things that I should keep in my covenant relationship. And so many times in our lives, this is where we go wrong, especially within the church where we feel open and vulnerable. We cross lines and say things we shouldn't say, and we do things and act in certain ways we shouldn't because they should be reserved for certain relationships. And you see this with young people all the time. A young person meets this girl or this guy, and they're so beautiful, and they're so hot, and they just, you know what? We're in this short-term relationship. We've known each other for this long, but we're going to jump to the covenant relationship. And two weeks later, this short-term relationship's completely over, and they're both heartbroken and devastated because they entered into something that was meant for a covenant relationship, but they're in a short-time relationship, and they don't understand because they're too mature to process why they feel like they feel. You know, Jesus himself, it says, and I think it's John chapter 2, verse 2, it says all these people were coming to him for all the things he did, but it goes on to say, but he did not entrust himself to them. He had all these people around him coming because of the gift, because he taught as one and authority, because of the miracles, signs, and wonders. They're pressing in. They seem like they really like him. But the scripture very blatantly says he would not entrust himself to them. 
because he wasn't in a covenant relationship with them. He wasn't in a long-term relationship with them. There were certain things he wouldn't do. There were lines he wouldn't cross because that rapport and that relationship hasn't been developed. And if we can begin to understand this and begin to understand relationships in the eyes of God, I said this last night when I was talking, I talked to your pastor about this. I really believe that revival that will come these last days. Yes, there's an outpouring. We can read the scriptures. We know about the prophecy. We know young men dream dreams. I get all that. But I really believe it's going to be when the church begins to act like the church. I really believe that if we would figure out how to function as a body of Christ and understand relationships and understand commitment and understand what God intended, that would be the way that God would pour out his spirit and then we would have something to be able to hold the Holy Spirit and work forward to. Well, we're so dysfunctional in the church and it becomes from relationships and it's because we, one, don't get into the word and two, we don't understand the root of the dysfunction goes all the way back to the garden. It's not because we're coming from different cultures. It's not because we're not diversified. It's not, okay, it goes way beyond that. It goes all the way back into the garden, and we're still dealing with and having to address things that happened all those years ago. And so this morning, we're going to read First Peter chapter 3, and we're going to get into the Word, and we're going to begin to dive into three very important relationships in the body of Christ, three very important relationships that Peter lays out here, and I believe he begins to speak to us and tell you, tells us how to manage those relationships and how to lead through those relationships. Let's read First Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to jump down to verse um, 7. And so if you're taking notes or want to take notes or thinking of points, because I know a lot of people like points and direction, the first group of people we're going to consider is relationships in marriage. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 and in verse 7. It says, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of their lives. Verse 7, it says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, and heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. And what's it say there in verse 1 and then in verse 7, right off the bat, it says, In the same way, and then he goes on talking to husbands and says, In the same way. And what he's referring to, if we're to study this passage of Scripture and begin to break it down, he's actually referring to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. And it says, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example, and you should follow in his steps. When he's saying in the same way, he's saying in the same way that Christ has set the example for you, you too should implement what Christ has done. You should follow Christ's example. When we begin to look at the life of Jesus Christ and we see the example that he set for us, what does that mean? What does that even look like? We need to begin to break it down. If you look at Jesus, Jesus was unoffendable. Tell me at one point in the life of Jesus when he was offended and reacted besides maybe dumping the money changer's table. 
And the conversations that he had and the things that he addressed, the conversations at the well with the lady at the well, with all the different hypocrites that are trying to trap him, the Pharisees, Sadducees confronting him. Jesus knew their thoughts. He knew what they were doing. And was he offended at any moment? Did he take offense to those things? Did he react in some way? He continually forgave. He continually walked in love. He continually expressed compassion. He continually met people right where they are. He continually showed respect. Even when they confronted him about money, he says, you know what? You need to render under Caesar what's Caesar's and render under God what's God. Not disrespecting. Everything he did was sacrificial. Everything he did was to better the people around him, to encourage the people around him, to speak the truth to the people around him. He wasn't in these relationships for himself. He was in the relationships to serve and to give to others. Now, if we take that and begin to look at our own marriages and our own lives with our spouses, how many of us are really sacrificial giving in our marriage? How many of us don't get offended with every little thing that our spouse says to us? The Pentecostal church usually this quiet on Sunday. Don't we want our own way? I mean, let's think about it. Guys, we're going to clean the kitchen. We're going to do dishes. We're going to do all these little chores, the honeydews and stuff, because we want something at the end of the day. Ladies, you know it's true. And you're like, why is he being nice today? Why did he fold the laundry? He never folds the laundry. Why did he volunteer to pick the kids up at school? Yeah, uh uh-huh. Come on, guys. Thank you. At least we have one person willing to say, yes, you found me out, pastor. But is that not the truth? We get standing, you know, at the altar till death do his part. And we're saying all this stuff and we're crying because it's so beautiful. And we love and this and that. And we just want served. We want our own way. We want to fold the towels in our own way. We want the dishes stacked in the closet their own way. We want the cars parked in the driveway's own way. I guess I'm touching on my own stuff, huh? <laughs> we want the right coffee served at our house. Joy bean. <laughs> but is that not the truth? But is that what the Bible says? Is that the model that Jesus gave us? You know, we say we're forgiving. We say we're loving. But how many of us truly forgive and let go of whatever it is that we're forgiving? We come back and we dangle that, you know, yeah, I forgave you. And then all of a sudden we're in a little tiff or a little argument or however you want to address it. And we bring something up that we said we forgave about three years ago, two years ago, a day ago. And we bring it up and we throw it back in their face. And you're like, dude, that's not fair. You can't do that. Well, you didn't. It's blah, 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 blah. Okay, but you said you forgave me for that. So why do you keep bringing that up? Well, because you did it. Okay, that's fine. I did it. I don't take ownership of the fact that I did it. Can we please move on? No, because we're very offended. And we have this desire to be right. And as unfortunate as it is, we want to be heard in our marriages and we want to be right in our marriages. And we want to get the last word in. 
But I don't see that example in Jesus. And Paul's saying, you know what? You want to have a healthy marriage, husband and wife, follow the example of Jesus. Do what Jesus did. Humble yourself. Ask for forgiveness. Be unoffendable. Don't be selfish. Learn to give. Learn to sacrifice. You know what? We're in a marriage together. We are became one. We're not in competition. I don't have to undo my spouse. I don't have to outdo my spouse. I don't have to talk louder to my spouse so I can be heard. I should want the best for her. I should want her to succeed. I should want her to feel loved, to feel protected. So why are we always in competition with you? Well, I said this and you said that. Why? Why are we even going down that rabbit hole? Why are we even having those conversations? It's not a competition. We're together as one. And if we follow the example of Jesus Christ, it's going to serve one another, love each other unconditional, sacrifice for one another. I guarantee we'll have healthier homes and healthier marriage. Will it be easy? Absolutely not. Why? Because it goes all the way back to the garden when we had disharmony because of sin. But with God's help and knowing what the word of God says and allowing the Holy Spirit to come in and minister to us, we can have hope. So Peter addresses marriage as he lays down these different things, saying, okay, follow the example of Jesus Christ. But he just doesn't stop there. He begins to move on. And it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, I missed a quote, but I want to read this quote before we go ahead. Pastor Rick Godwin once said this, Romantic love will get you down the aisle, but only sacrificial love will get you the death to his part. And I really like that quote. That's why I want to stop and add that. So point number two is relationship in the church. First Peter chapter 3, 8 through 9. It says, finally all of you. So Peter's moving away from the marriage. And he's now addressing the people in the church. And he says, now finally for all of you, be like-minded. Be sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate. Be humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Peter is writing to the church. He's speaking to the church specifically and he's giving instructions for people in the church. This is believers. He's speaking to believers that committed their life to Christ, that are following Christ. These same people were being tortured. They're being hung on crosses because of their faith under Nero. But he's writing to them saying, okay, body of Christ, you that say you're a believer, this is how you need to function. This is how you need to operate within the church. And look what he says, be like-minded. Can I ask a huge favor? Can you hand me my glasses? There's certain texts I can't read. Thank you. Yes, I'm getting older. And I stole my wife's readers because I don't have my own. (laughs) Peter says what here? He says, be like-minded. How do we be like-minded when we're so diversified? Have you ever stopped to think that when you read certain scriptures and you just kind of throw it out there like, yeah, it sounds good, but what does that even look like? Be like-minded is because our minds have been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit and what? The reading of the word. That's the only way we're going to become unified. That's the only way we're going to be like-minded because we all have different thoughts. We have different perceptions. And when you walked in today, you sat on one side, you sat on this side. And guess what? Because you're sitting on that side, your perception is different of the platform. Because you're sitting on this side, your perception is different. One's not right. One's not wrong. It's fact. 
And so we all have different perceptions. We all have different upbringing. We all have different way we were raised, the way we think. But how can we be like-minded is because we're coming together in unity around the fact that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And he has a plan and purpose for each and every one of us. And so we'll be able to be like-minded because our minds are transformed. We're standing on the same ground, which is the Word of God. We understand God's promises. We understand that that is the absolute truth. And so that's how we're able to come together being like-minded. And then what does he say next? Be sympathetic. When was the last time that we were sympathetic to our brother and sister in Christ? Man, she's always raising her hand for prayer requests. What in the world? Is her life that bad? Maybe that happens in my church, not your church. But seriously, when are we sympathetic towards people? When do we express the fact that, man, we're feeling the pain of somebody else? I might not understand it. I might have never been there. But because I'm a believer and I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me, I can extend sympathy. I can extend compassion because of Jesus Christ and what he's done in my life. And I might not understand it, but because I'm feeling that, that, that feeling, that sympathy, that compassion, I'm going to choose to walk through whatever they're walking through. Even if I don't understand it, I'm willing to be there to go through, to be a person that they can lean upon. Not avoid them because we don't want to enter into a conversation. Or man, every week they talk about the same thing, the same struggle. Okay, they're talking about it because it's real. It's something happening in their life. And they're speaking to you because you have the opportunity to speak into their life. Maybe God's allowing them to speak to you because he wants to give you a word. But you don't even want to address it or deal with it because you've got your own junk going on. What if the body of Christ begin to act like the body of Christ? That we actually liked each other. I mean, that would be something phenomenal, that the body of Christ liked each other. That the Assemblies of God Church enjoyed fellowship with the Church of God down the street. That the black church got together with the Hispanic church. That the white church said, you know what, we don't want to be white anymore, we want to be multiracial, multicultural. And we broke down those barriers. You know what? It could happen if we begin to say, you know what? I not, might not understand everything that's going on. I might not have walked through what those people walk through. But we have the same Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We are made in His likeness and His image. Each and every one of us. It doesn't matter what continent you were born on. It doesn't matter where you were raised. We are made in His image. And if we would get past our own insecurities and our own junk and begin to get back to the Word of God, we would see transformation take place in the body of Christ. That's what's going to bring revival. When we actually care about one another and stop caring about ourselves as much as we do and say, you know what, the body of Christ is about giving and serving. It's not about me and what I can get. Then he goes on, he says what? Love one another. We don't even like each other. How are we going to love each other? But Paul's, or Peter says it right here. Love one another. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil, but insult with insult. How often do we turn the other cheek when we're insulted? And you know what the crazy thing about this? We're not talking about what we're receiving from people outside the church. Peter's addressing what's going on inside the church. So it's just not in our present day and age that we have stuff going on. It was happening in the New Testament church. And Peter's addressing it to the believers in the New Testament church. Saying, man, you got to be humble. you got to love. you got to be compassionate. You know, don't repay evil with evil. 
But let God's good nature that is inside of you begin to come out and stop trying to cause harm. Stop gossiping. Stop talking about people. And he's laying it out right there. And he says, what? Be like-minded. Be one mind. Be in unity. You know, in the day of Pentecost, they were together in one accord. And I think that was the key for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is they were together in one accord. They were worshiping, they were fasting and praying for 10 days, and the Bible specifically says they were together in one accord. And I believe that set the foundation for the Holy Spirit to come, and they were able to contain what God was doing and go into the streets and the highways and the byways to begin to minister, because they were together in one accord. They didn't care about who had the prophetic word, who got the prophetic word, who was flowing in one gift and who was not flowing in another. They didn't care about the offices they held in the New Testament church. All they care about was coming together in one accord and seeing God glorified. And the only way we can have that unity is if our minds have been renewed and transformed. And that's what it's going to take is us getting into the word of God, allowing the Holy Spirit to continue to transform us in his likeness, in his image. It's not uniformity where we're forced to do something. It's unity where we come together in a common good, a common ground, and that ground is Jesus Christ. So we can have unity in the body of Christ. Then Peter goes on, he continues to speak, and he moves from marriage relationship He talks about the people within the church, but then he begins to address those relationships outside the church. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, addressing relationships outside of the church. It says, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better... If it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. I want to come back up. It says, to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for your hope that you have. And we have to remember Peter's audience. These are persecuted Christians. When I say persecuted Christians, it's not like, okay, we were in Facebook jail for a little bit. These people were in real jails. If we were to really study under Nero, we would find out that Christians were literally torches in the streets. That they would cover them with oil and light them on fire to light the streets. They were sawed in half. They were torn in two. This is the persecution that they were suffering. That was what was happening in their lives. Did Peter say, draw your sword and go fight them? Not at one time. But he lays out how we're supposed to react, what we're supposed to do, our attitudes and our disposition of these persecuted Christians. And it says what? Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. These people were in verse 14. They were blessed. That's a foreign idea to us that in persecution we're going to receive blessings. 
we're all pre-tribbers, right? We're not going to have any tribulation. We're not going to have any pain and suffering. That's not what Jesus would ever have us go through, correct? I was said with a little tongue in cheek. But God, you're supposed to take care of us. God, you're supposed to do this. Your word says this. Your word says that. Everything's supposed to be great. I'm supposed to have a 5,000 square foot home and five cars with three car garage. That's what you want as God's children. That's the way it's supposed to be. Everything's supposed to be great. Our kids are supposed to be healthy and strong. And our teeth are supposed to be perfect without braces. And all these wonderful things that we say, that's what God says in his word. That's what God says in the American version of the word. But when I read the Bible, I read the New Testament, I see the persecution, I see the things they were going through. That was the reality of what was going on. And you know what? They still chose to worship God. They still showed hope. They still spoke of God's love. They continued to have compassion and be moved to help one another. Even though they're dying for their faith, they were continually blessed and had God's peace. I'm sure it's difficult. If you've ever read Fox's book of Christian martyrs or any books like that, you would see these Christians that were dying for their faith, dying, being burned in fire, however it was, and they continued to worship God. They continued to sing. They continued to praise God. They didn't deny their faith. They didn't give up hope. In our eyes, it doesn't make sense. Why would God ever allow that to happen? Well, we've got to go all the way back to the original sin in the garden and recognize, man, things have been messed up from day one. And Jesus Christ brings healing. He came to restore relationships. But there's a lot of work that still needs to be done in our lives through the transformation of the Holy Spirit. And so how do we treat people outside the church? Let's begin to look at this. It says, be prepared to defend your hope. That's what it says right there in the passage of Scripture. Be prepared to defend your hope. Isn't that interesting? Be prepared to defend your hope to outsiders, meaning people outside of the body of Christ. Does Peter say be prepared to defend yourself? It says be prepared to defend your faith, defend your hope. We're explaining, we're addressing the fact that people are going to come against us, so we're going to take a stand for righteousness. We're going to explain why we believe what we believe. We'll be thrown into the fire regardless if God saves us or not, we're still not going to deny. We're going to continue to move forward. But we have this idea in our society that we need to defend everything that we say. That we're going to take a stance. We're going to fight against this. We're going to put our nice post on Facebook. And then when somebody posts something, we're going to go off on them because they're in disagreement with what we posted. We're okay with everybody agrees with us and puts likes and hugs and yeah, amen, brother, amen, sister. But the moment somebody says something contrary to what we believe, we go ballistic and we're going to defend it. We're going to make everybody on Facebook know that we're in disagreement. You ever think maybe as Christians we need to give up our right to be right? We don't have to be heard all the time. But I think we like it. It does something in us when we're getting all these likes and clicks and yes and all this stuff on our, our Facebook or Instagram or whatever we have is blowing up because people are in agreement with us. But the moment somebody's in disagreement with us, we get so defensive and we make it known that our way is the way and the right way. 
I'm not saying we don't take a stance for the word of God. We're going to take a stance. We're going to continue to preach the gospel message. We're going to stand on absolute truth. I'm not saying that. But do you think sometimes we might need to just let down our guard? Because we don't know the hurt that somebody's going through and why they're spewing venom. And us just going back at them and attacking them is doing exactly what they're doing to us. Serves no purpose whatsoever. Do you know you're not going to convert people by having an intense conversation on Facebook? When was the last time one of your blow-up text messages or one of your blow-up posts where you got into an argument turned out positive for anybody? Why do we do that? What if we start loving people, being compassionate people? We're talking about people outside the church now. What if we meet people where they were? And I don't have to be defensive. I don't have to get offended at all their junk and going on. Because there's real hurt in people's lives. They don't know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. So I can't hold them to the same standard. I'm going to hold a brother or sister in Christ. Their minds haven't been transformed. They haven't had that encounter. They don't know the truth. The Bible says if they know the truth, the truth will set them free. But if I'm going to continue to fight them and argue with them and show that I'm right, guess what? Their walls are up and they're not going to be receptive to the gospel message. Because they're going to feel attacked just like we often feel attacked. But Paul's saying you've got to defend your faith, but you don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to defend your right. You don't have to continue to take those standards because we live in offense. Our whole society lives in offense. Whether you are outside the church, inside the church, under the church, over the church, we live in a society that everybody's offended about something. And if you want to fight, go ahead. You can have a fight. You can fight about anything. The stop sign should be positioned the other way. I guarantee you'll find somebody to fight about it. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, be compassionate, be loving. Let your light shine before men. Turn the other cheek. These are the people outside the walls of Christ, or outside the walls of the church. We show what? We say, it says we show respect and gentleness. You can be respectful and have a conversation with somebody and not attack them and go for the jugular. You can respect somebody because their position is different than you. It doesn't mean you have to believe it. Doesn't mean that they're going to convince you, but you can still be loving and respectful. You can still speak the truth in love and not hate. Just because somebody's trying to prove you wrong doesn't mean you have to dishonor them. Christ never did that. And if we truly want to reach people outside the church walls, maybe we need to look at ourselves and say, What am I offended by and why am I carrying that offense? Why do I get so defensive? And if you can't refrain from blasting people on social media, get off social media. Because we have a witness. And many times the same thing that we're accusing people outside of the church walls of doing for us, we're doing exactly the same thing, but we do it in the name of Jesus. It's going to take a new perspective on our part. And I'm not saying we're watering down the gospel message. I hope you hear my heart this morning. That's not what I'm saying. But if we would begin to understand relationships and why God's bringing people into our lives, that we are sometimes the only Jesus that somebody will see. You've heard that cliche statement, but it is the truth. And the contact we have with somebody walking into the gas station, the contact we have with a kid's teacher at school, the contact we have at the gym, wherever those relationships are, God has ordained those steps, and we are in these people's lives for a reason. So when they're looking at us, what are they seeing? Are they seeing a hypocrite? Are they seeing somebody loving? Are they seeing somebody gentle? Are they seeing somebody that's compassionate? What are they seeing when they see us? 
You see, we all need transformed by God's love. And if the worship team wants to come back up and the prayer team wants to start coming forward, all relationships require love. And it's a, a long passage of Scripture, but I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 through 8, reading from the New International Version. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong and a clinging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardships that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. And here are the characteristics of love which you've heard a thousand times. Love is patient. Love is kind. And that's in your marriage relationship. That's in church relationships. That's in relationships outside of the church says the same thing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And number eight, verse eight, to close it, says, love never fails and as I said in the very beginning I think many times our level of relationship with God is manifested in our relationships with others if we receive God's love and we're walking in God's love our tendency will to be express that love to other people that will be more compassionate will be kind will be gentle why because we recognize what God has done in our lives and his Holy Spirit's working in our life But if we don't have that relationship with God and we're not dealing with our own issues in our heart, it's very hard to minister effectively to those outside the church walls and even to maintain healthy relationships within the church walls. Like I said at the very beginning, I strongly believe that the move of God that's going to happen next is going to have a lot to do with when we as the body of Christ begin to function according to God's plan in relationships that we truly respect and honor our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we do life with one another, we encourage one another, we have fellowship with one another. Because that's what they did in the New Testament church. They broke bread in homes. They gave to the poor as they needed. They sold things to be able to help people. They continued to come together for prayer, Bible study. And as we know, that was the foundation of the New Testament church. But I don't think it just should end with the foundation of the New Testament church. The same Holy Spirit that was poured out on the day of Pentecost is the same Holy Spirit that's available for us today. The same Holy Spirit that gave them wisdom and how to have conversations and how to reach the lost is the same Holy Spirit that's available to us to figure out, okay, how can I wisely move forward to witness to the people around me? It's our responsibility. We have a lost and dying world, and it's our responsibility to reach the lost. And it helps so much when we begin to look at the dysfunction from the very beginning and realize, wow, this is why I am like I am. Because the whole Bible is about relationships, the broken relationship with God and man, the relationship with Jesus and his disciples, but then the relationship with Jesus and ourselves when we confess him as our Lord and Savior. And now we have a relationship with God who's redeemed us because of the bridge that Jesus Christ forms for us. Because of that forgiveness, we can have a relationship with the one true God. 
So the whole Bible from the beginning to the end is all about relationships. How does it end? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you will have a relationship for eternity with God. So from the beginning to the end, it's all about relationships and we're going to be held accountable for how we manage and lead through those relationships. If you're here this morning, you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ and you don't have a relationship with God. But you know there's some missing element in your life. You recognize, man, I really struggle. I have sins. I have things going on. And I want to make things right so I can have that right relationship with God. If that's you here this morning, and this isn't to embarrass you, but we want to be able to pray for you. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand where you are and say, you know what? I need that relationship with God. I need to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If that's you, just raise your hand. See your hand. Praise God. Anyone else? You see, there's not some hocus-pocus prayer. There's not something that I want you to repeat after me to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says we believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord. And then we confess our sins to him, but we but profess him as Lord. So we say, you know what? I'm a sinner. I recognize I need Jesus. So we say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Thank you for forgiving my sins, and I want to invite you into my life. It's that simple. So many times we complicate it. Now there's a process after that. We need to be discipled. We need to be mentored. But that first step is the most important step, saying, I recognize I need Jesus. And we submit to his authority in our lives. My next question for you this this morning is, through our conversation, that you recognize you're having some struggles in your relationships. You recognize there's a lot of disharmony and dysfunction and you want to begin to move forward to make things right, whether it's in your relationship with your wife or your spouse, whether it's a relationship with people in the church, or maybe you know you haven't been compassionate and loving to people outside the church, but you want to begin to change. If that's you this morning, say, you know what, that's me. I want you to stand to your feet this morning. You say, you know what? I know I have issues in relationships and I want God to bring healing to those relationships. I want you just to stand where you are. I'm not asking you to come forward right now. I'm just asking you to stand. It's a step that God's going to meet us. Praise God. So I'm going to take a few moments and I'm going to pray for us. And I know we have a prayer team. So if the prayer team wants to come forward. And anytime while I'm praying, you feel that you want to come forward for prayer for anything specific, whether it's a healing, maybe God's been nudging your heart and you just know there's things you want to be prayed for. Our brothers and sisters in Christ are here to pray with you, to believe with you. But I'm going to lead us in prayer, and we're going to have the altars open if you want to come forward. And we're done praying. I'm going to have Pastor Paul come up. But I want you, even if you're in your seats, I want you to take this moment seriously. I want you to pray where you are and believe for the people around you. Maybe you think everything's fine in your life, but, hey, people are willing to address the fact that they need more of Jesus in their life this morning. They need healing and relationships. So pray for those people that are around you that are standing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your grace that you continually extend to us. We thank you for meeting us right where we are, 
for giving us hope, for giving us a future. We thank you for the price that Jesus Christ paid on the cross for us that we can have life and life more abundantly. And God, we thank you for the words that Peter has given us. This encouragement, this wisdom, the guide of how to manage the relationships that we're in. We recognize we're not perfect. We recognize we have faults today, Lord. And that's why we're asking you for help. We need your Holy Spirit to minister to us. We need your Holy Spirit to guide us. Lord, some of us need to forgive as we have been forgiven. And I ask right now that your Spirit will touch each and every one of us. That you'll meet us right where we are this morning. That you'll bring healing. You'll bring hope. Lord, you help us to release people that we need to release. You help us to let go of those things that have been holding us in bondage. Lord, as you're mending relationships, even now the Spirit is doing a work in the heavenlies to begin to mend and heal relationships that have been broken. There have been seeds that have been planted today in our lives, and those seeds are going to grow to fruition. We're going to see renewal in relationships. We're going to see amending take place. We're going to see restoration take place. Lord, that you help us to understand who we are in your eyes. We'll understand our identity as believers. We'll understand who we are as a body of Christ. And we'll continue or we'll begin to function in the way you designed us to function. That there'll be unity in the body. That we'll come together in one accord. That you use us, Lord Jesus, to bring in a harvest into the kingdom. Lord, I thank you for each family that's here this morning. I thank you for the work that you're doing. I thank you for direction. I thank you for purpose being birthed within us. And Lord, for this one lady that's here today, I just see you in my mind. This one that's pretty much given up hope. That you feel you just don't know if you can continue on. You're tired of the battle. You're tired. You just feel worn down you're weary and you question if you can continue on Lord I ask that you meet her right where she is this morning that she will feel an embrace from heaven that she'll feel your love that she'll be strengthened by the Holy Spirit that she's not going to give up but she's going to continue to persevere I ask that you bring people into her life that will bless her that will encourage her that will walk along this journey with her. Lord, meet her here this morning. Put hope in her heart. Let her understand the price that you paid for her. If you guys would do me one more favor, just raise your hands with me for a moment. Lord, we lift our hands this morning as an act of surrender. We submit to you. Lord, we're tired of doing things on our own. We're tired of trying to do things on our own strength and our own abilities. But this morning, Lord, we lift our hands and surrender to you. And we ask that you take the rightful throne in our lives, that place where you should be seated. We submit to you. We submit to your authority. And we raise our hands as an act of surrender this morning. 
God, we need you. We need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We need you to work in our lives. Lord, we need to understand the price that you paid for us on Calvary. We need our minds transformed. We need our hardened hearts to be softened. Lord, we desire a hunger and thirst for righteousness. We want to have a heart like David had, a heart after your own heart. Lord, we need transformation. And we recognize it today. So we humble ourselves before you this morning. And we say, have your way. Lord, it's not repetitive words. It's not a routine, but we mean it from the bottom of our hearts today. Have your way in our lives. We want to submit to your ways. We want to submit to your authority. We're tired of trying to do things on our own, but we need you. We need you. Touch us this morning. Let us not go out of here the same way that we came, but we need a deposit of your greatness in our lives. We need a deposit of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we need you this morning. Lord, for that man that's holding on to anger this morning, that continually fights and struggles, that has these outbursts of rage and fits of anger, and he blames it on his past. He blames it on because his dad was like that. His grandfather was like that. Lord, I ask this morning, even as this morning is one of those fits of rage stirred up within him, I ask, Lord, that you meet him here this morning, that he'll recognize he doesn't have to walk through life being angry. He doesn't have to walk through life like that. The people around him don't have to walk on age shells but lord there's healing there's healing for him today if he'll submit that area of his life to you today lord i ask that the spirit will minister to him that you'll meet him right where he is and he'll turn that over to you he doesn't have to be afraid lord you're calling him unto yourself let him accept that call this morning There is ability to change and transformation and it comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. Pour out your love upon him today. Bring healing to his hurts. Bring healing to his heart. Lord, I thank you for this congregation. You can put your hands down if you'd like. Lord, I thank you for this body of Christ. Lord, I thank you for the new season that this church is entering. Lord, the things that have seemed to be a burden, the things that have seemed to weigh people down, see a season of freedom, a season of walking out from the heaviness, walking out from under disappointment. Lord, I see a joy being released, a joy that's stirred up in the hearts of the leadership of this church. There's a joy that's going to begin to flow down from the mantle of leadership. It's going to touch the church as a congregation, as a whole.
There's a new season coming. There's a season of renewal. There's a a season of newness. There's a whole perspective shift coming of way ministry's done, the way things are seen. Lord, the distraction, the things that the enemy has sent in to bring division and strife to hinder the work that God has for this community of believers as being thwarted now in the name of Jesus. And there's a freedom. There's a freedom to worship. There's a freedom to laugh. I just keep seeing this joy of the Lord. This joy of the Lord is coming. And it's starting with your pastors and flowing down. That the burden of ministry, the heaviness is being lifted off. But it's a new season as a body of Christ you're entering into. Lord, we thank you in advance for the souls that are being saved. We thank you in advance for the wisdom that's being released upon the leadership of this church. Lord, change is a catalyst for growth. And there's a change coming, but it's not just a change for change's sake, but there's a transformation that's going to begin to take place in this house. And Lord, I pray that you begin to align the right people staff members and leaders that are not supposed to be here will move on and it's not a bad thing there's nothing bad about people when God moves but there's just seasons of change for everyone and Lord as this vision this new direction this transformation begins to stir and take place that you'll bring the right people into the places of leadership you'll bring the right people Lord to carry this vision forward that will truly see unity take place as we see in the book of Acts. Like-minded because there's transformation coming. Lord, I thank you for direction. I thank you for wisdom. We thank you for finances coming into this house. We thank you for leaders being raised up. And Lord, I just speak blessings over each person that's here this morning. You bless them with your presence. You bless them with favor. You bless them with abundant life. You bless them with peace. Bless them with wisdom and discernment. Lord, I speak life over each person that's here today. We curse death and we speak life in Jesus' name. Lord, I speak an understanding that people understand the gifts and talents that you've given them. They'll understand their identity in you and they'll begin to operate and function out of that identity. We thank you for clarity of mind. Lord, we bless you this morning. We love you. I thank you, Father, for this opportunity to be here to share your word. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Pastor.